Welcome to Zero to a Million, where we interview multimillionaires on how they scaled their business to $500 million. Uh, 10 years ago? Nah, there are plenty of those types of podcasts out there. We want to provide you with strategies real-time while we scale Unstack from zero to a million. Every week, you can learn from our successes and failures. Plus, get tips from our mentors and advisors. While we implement, you learn. While we learn, we scale. Welcome to the Zero to a Million podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of Zero to a Million, brought to you by Unstack.com. I'm Zach Rigo, and I'm here with my co-host, Grant Deacon. And today we're talking to Luke Thomas, the co-founder of Friday.app. And uh, it's great to meet you, Luke. I think uh, I didn't realize you worked at Crystal uh, yeah, yeah. way back when. I actually, Grant doesn't know this, but I was interviewing with them for their VP of sales job as well. And then Grant put my feet to the fire about starting here. So I chose Grant over over those guys, but they got a, they got a really cool product. Yeah, yeah. Drew and, Drew and Greg, I've known them for a long time and, and they're... It's so funny. They're doing quite well. And I, I'm still very good friends with Drew. I talked to them earlier today. <laughs> nice. They got a cool product and tons of leads. There's no doubt about that. So I think that's a I think that's a good starting off point. Like, so Luke, you were running growth there. I think running some product stuff there. You kind of then started thinking about, hey, like I want to do something on my own. Like you're an entrepreneur at heart. Like how, how did you go from like Crystal into into Friday and like start thinking about building, building that business. I've really, and this is a bit of a roundabout path for me, but I've really, for some reason, enjoyed working on as part of companies and on products that just try to make work a little bit better. And Crystal certainly fell into that bucket, just trying to help, you know, people at work communicate better through an understanding of personality differences. And I, the way I think about it is it's such a kind of meaty problem to try to solve, right? Um, and, you know, work will never be perfect, but um, it surely can be a lot better. And I found that that kind of problem space was very interesting to me because, you know, I spend, you know, eight, nine hours a day at work. I want it to be really great. And I want to do meaningful work and I want to leave at the end of the day feeling like I accomplished something and that my work mattered, right? And so... Yeah, I, I was kind of exploring the basic idea of, you know, how do you essentially instill these best practices inside teams and at the individual level? Like, how do you get people to actually work better? And from my perspective, it revolved around the idea of, you know, creating these basic uh, kind of communication habits or routines at work, because if it's not a habit or if it's not a routine, there's no predictability. And so what the best and the top performers are doing is they're creating like really effective work routines as an individual with their team and at the company level. And so then the question became, at least from my perspective was why isn't there a tool that helps automate as much of the process as possible? So, you know, if there's kind of this like activation energy required to start a new routine, whether it's sharing what you're working on every day or, you know, sharing an end of week update, like, can a computer help here? Can it do the boring stuff so that you don't have to just like come up with this on your own? And so that's originally kind of how I got into Friday was just exploring the idea of like, how do you create better habits? And how do you, how do you have a computer do most of the heavy lifting? And like, I, I think one of the things too, that, that I've always uh, appreciated about the, the approach, like 
putting the product aside for a second, like you were pretty big on content early, right? Like I feel like that's something that I just see a lot of startups kind of miss on. Like they're starting to kind of tell the story and like validate the market. Like wh- like they start with the product instead of with like the, the story or the kind of the perspective. I feel like you kind of, I don't know if that was because you came from a growth marketing background that you kind of started there or like, I'd love to hear kind of how you, how you thought about that. Yeah. So from my perspective, you know, I started this as like a nights and weekends project. And so I didn't have a lot of resources. Um, and so the most obvious thing I thought I could do is just write about this in particular, I, I spent quite a bit of time writing about, you know, remote work related topics And what I noticed in the market was like, I was experiencing all this pain working remotely, even for wonderful companies, like you experience pain working remotely. And, um, and I found that the advice that I was reading was far too generic to be useful. Um, And I thought, wow, I can just like write about what I'm thinking about and, and see if like it resonates. And, and so, yeah, that's really what I did. It was partially out of necessity, but yeah, I've always thought of it like, you know, Content marketing is not necessarily like there are other potentially more scalable ways to grow, right? Ideally, your user base fuels your growth instead of needing to dedicate, you know, human hours at writing content. But the reality is, is like content can still be super effective. You just actually have to like you need to say something interesting. Uh, and like most of the stuff out there actually isn't interesting. And so I, I, I largely did it out of necessity. And I think that it, for me, writing is, you know, a form of thinking. And so writing and thinking of product development from almost like an audience and a content first perspective has allowed me to really, I think, build a product that may be a bit more connected to what the market really wants. I don't know. Um, That's kind of how I think about it. Something I'm super interested in that, that I hear a ton talking to early SaaS founders or some of the VC firms is like market validation. You know, we talk, we're, we're working with a lot of companies that are either pre-launch or, you know, have just launched. So it sounds like the content was a part of your market validation in kind of creating that engagement. What, when did you actually start bringing the product idea to folks and really understanding if you were on the right track outside of just the content? Yeah, well, it, I mean, I did a lot of this simultaneously. I, I didn't, you know, like build this massive audience first and then ship a product to them. Maybe I should have. I know some people that do that and they seem to have a decent amount of success. Um, I can understand how it can kind of bootstrap things. Um, I was doing it all simultaneously. So I was writing about what I was hearing from customers and prospects, right? So it was, it was kind of like continually reverse engineering things. You know, you get people in the door, you figure out what the pain is, and then you write about the pain or about, uh, you know, the conversations that you have while simultaneously shipping product to try to solve the problem. And so that's how we did it. Um, I think there are a variety of approaches, but the to me, the biggest takeaway with any content efforts is like, takes time for it to kick in. And so you need to start sooner than you think. So, so like, let's, let's break that down a little bit. I think that's a really interesting comment you just made. This is like the pain that everybody feels with SEO, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'm doing it. It doesn't work. And then holy crap, it's really working. Is that, is that what you saw too? Like, like, like how much content were you putting out there? How long did it take? And, and like, where, where are you at now on SEO? Yeah, I wasn't writing as much as I should have. Um, honestly, I think I was writing like maybe three posts a month. 
Okay. Um, a lot of people recommend like writing a few a week. And for me, the biggest kind of the things that have moved the needle the most is kind of having like this parent category and then writing a bunch of adjacent content to it. Right. People call it like pillar content. So for me, it's like you have a pillar content of remote work, let's say, and then you go into a lot of the the specifics and you kind of cross link and and do all that. I certainly have spent a decent amount of my career working in SEO and content in particular. Um, most of it's been from a more kind of like the pages are programmatically generated from some unique content. And so I learned how it worked at scale. And so it allowed me to kind of create some like basic rules of thumb for how I wrote and it's worked. I don't have a specific number. Um, I, I, I haven't looked yet, but almost 50% of our signups are driven through content. So it's a material part of our business. I love the idea of finding pains from clients and, and writing about it. There's uh, Marcus Sheridan's book, They Ask You Answer, is kind of follows that same model. And you're not only using that to validate what customers are looking for, but then obviously solving that problem down the line with with a product is, is an outstanding strategy. Yeah, I mean, another thing you can do, too, is like, you know, the rich customer conversations are super enlightening. And it's your job as a founder to really unpack those. But you can learn a lot based on like what people are searching for. And I think that's a very underrated form of product development and customer development. It's like, where is demand already? And how do I tap into that? It's very different to tap into existing demand than it is to try to create it all from scratch. Yeah, and I, and I think like, just a, I want to I want to push on this a little bit, and I won't hold you to any like hard and fast numbers, but I think a lot of people start out with content, and they're like, oh, I'm getting you know, a hundred visits a month or fifty. Like for you, kind of implementing this strategy over over the last couple of years, like like are you seeing you know in the in the thousands, tens of thousands? Like how do you how has like SEO performed for Friday a month? I think it's tens of thousands. Okay. Wow. So, so just by writing, you know, starting with kind of three solid value first pieces of content a month, obviously kind of doubling down on that as it started to work, like you were able to basically go from zero to, to tens of thousands of, you know, free qualified site visitors a month. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly writing content, but also just like finding clever ways to get people to write about you. So like, we got uh, like a backlink in TechCrunch just because some random dude tweeted and was like, I'm looking to talk to people that founded companies selling to remote teams. It's like, and you just do like stuff like that. And uh, the biggest thing is like, write something interesting, but also like do everything you can to capture people's attention. So they link back to you. It's really like, to me, it's just that simple. And so we've been like, if, I'll give another example. I, uh, I reached out to my the university that I went to and was like, hey, you know how you do this like alumni article? And I, I get the article and it's always just like, there are people that are mentioned. I was like, hey, we, we just raised like our pre-seed round of funding. Do you want to write about it? And like got them to add a backlink and then you get an EDU backlink, right? Like it's a bunch of like little creative things like that that you try to do. Another example is I would talk to like the local local newspapers and like, we did a funding announcement, but we also did kind of this promo for main-based businesses where where Friday is based. And I knew that they didn't want to backlink directly to the website. So what I did was I just said, hey, there's this promo that main businesses can get access to, but I really need you to link to the, <laughs> to the, to the promo page. And they did. 
And so, I mean, you just had to do, like, you just have to get creative. <laughs> I love the university one. We're on, we're on yeah. that. We're going to be in the, the Jacksonville University newsletter. Next yeah, week. I mean, it works. It works. And like, they're always looking for stuff to write about too. So, oh. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you just got to like, try to come up with stuff. I don't know. So, so you brought up an interesting one that uh, I've actually been trying to capitalize on, which is like finding those tweets to reply to, right? That like get the engagement. Grant did a, an example of this the other day, like someone tweeted out, you know, fuck WordPress. And Grant was like, hey, like there are tools exist that solve this problem. Like let's chat. And it was like, it was like really well thought out. It's like, this guy's pissed clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter's an echo chamber. Like let's get involved. Right. And how did you go about finding that, that tech crunch opportunity? Gosh, I almost think I was, I read another tech crunch article and he just mentioned it. I don't even, I don't know if it was even a tweet. It was a mention in a post. Okay. I was just like, I'm just going to email this guy and give him some random stats that like, is internal to us that I knew he would find interesting. Yeah, I think um, I think part of it too, and and uh, I think you're both of you are really good at this. Uh, is is kind of just like culling that list of you know influencers in your space that are kind of out there and talking, whether it's in like no code or remote work, and just kind of having a pulse on that so that you can you know respond on the fly to those those opportunities because they're popping up all the time. Like we have a call with someone this Friday big person in the no code space runs a big website that was through, I think Zach, you saw him tweet something on Twitter and, and we reached out. Right. So it, it, those feel like very like non-scalable things, but they actually just one or two here and there can really, uh, you know, make a difference. Oh, it makes a huge difference. And it's, it's really interesting because if I can think of some of the more impactful things to the business, it's been a function of just like trying random things like that. And it's so difficult to quantify just trying right? <laughs> but you know, you need to do it. And I don't do it nearly as much as I should. So let's say you've tried a bunch, right? You've mentioned a couple, it sounds like quick wins that have, have led to some, some long-term success with content and SEO. What's the number one channel that's driving growth for Friday right now? Is it just the content or are there other things that you guys have tested or, or campaigns that you're investing in that have had, you know, some level of success that you're seeing? Uh, it's content word of mouth. And at this stage in our business, we essentially we have the opportunity to really like double down on revenue generation or, and I mean, I realize that this is not like given limited resources, you kind of have to over index on one versus the other, but we had the opportunity. It's like, do we want to double down on revenue given, you know, a, a decent and healthy uh, top of the funnel pipeline, or do we want to continue to explore like the step function changes in, in user engagement because our goal is to be, you know, home for the most important stuff at work, whether that's for you personally as a team or as a company. And in order to get there, we think we need to be a daily use tool. And for some teams we are, and for other teams, it might just be something you use once or twice a week. So for us, we are actually not investing a lot in our top of the funnel because we're just trying to stay laser focused on usage and engagement because it will lift, it will lift everything. Yeah. Zach and I were in a pricing workshop uh, a couple of weeks ago and they had this, this slide that stuck with me and it was showing like, where can you make the biggest like material impacts on the business? And like, it was like acquisition, retention and expansion and the latter two, you know, retention, retaining your customers with a better product, better model, and, ex and also then expanding the revenue from those customers are much, much easier 
to do and kind of extract value from than to, you know, be super focused on trying to crack, you know, acquisition and, and really try to like shave points off of your CAC and things like that. Uh, so that's a, it's an interesting thing to kind of hear you kind of weigh those two. Yeah. One thing that's always stuck with me is this guy, Keith Raboy. I think he's, you know, partner at Founders Fund. He's a pretty well-known operator in Silicon Valley. And he mentioned how he would only, in the early days, he would tell his his team, like, I only want to add zeros to the metrics. And the basic idea was, like, don't optimize and, like, squeeze, you know, s- small improvements. Like, you're trying to essentially hit home runs. And from my perspective, it's really easy to get into this, like, optimization game where you're like, oh, I added, like, three points to our activation rate. It's like, is that going to get you where you need to go? Probably not, you know? So specifically, you know, compound interest in the world of finance is this thing that you're able to extract over 30, 40 years. In the startup world, you don't have 30 to 40 years to extract the benefit out of it. So you really need to look for those step function changes instead of just like going after the easy improvements. Speaking of some of the the step function tests or experiments or channels, uh, so I was on Nathan Locke's podcast the other day and he was like, you know, oh, I saw you guys on Product Hunt, like, looks like you guys did really well there at 3,300 upvotes. And we were kind of talking about what we learned there and like, you know, some of the pros and cons. And and I'm always curious because you had a pretty big Product Hunt debut too. Like, how did how did that play for for you guys was that like a sustained source of traffic and and users and paying customers it gave us a bump but i think like really any quasi pr type of effort it you see this benefit and then it tails off and the way i think about product hunt and gen like pr in general is that you know you can do it to try to find new investors you can do it to try to find a few new customers oftentimes that is much less than you expect but for me, I do it because the backlinks, because it's a rising tide that lifts all boats on the rest of the content. So that's that's kind of the this interesting flywheel that I really like is where if you can combine PR with content with integrations in particular, you can build this really interesting flywheel. So for us, you generate some PR. And so you generate some PR and that backlinks lifting up your content marketing efforts but then you build integrations and you can get listed in, you know, the Zoom marketplace, the Slack marketplace, et cetera, which feeds backlinks as well. And it's this very interesting cycle that allows you to, you know, move your way up. So I'm a big fan of that approach, but you have to kind of combine a few at once. Yeah, that's I, I mean, we're, we're saying that, too. So I, I feel like that's something that if you're if you're building a open, you know, digital product, that's sort of like a no brainer today because everybody's got an API, right? And, and a directory. So, so, Luke, let me ask you this. Like you are. All right. So you, you did some product. You've done growth marketing. Like now you're a startup founder. You guys are doing well. You know, we were talking earlier, just just, you know, raise the seed fund like our seed round. What what's what have you learned about being a, a, a CEO that's been different from kind of coming from the marketing world? It's a really good question. I think from my perspective, the biggest thing I've learned is that you just kind of have to get used to like not doing it all. <laughs> Quite frankly, you know, you just have to find like great people and set some like general high level direction and let them do their thing. And so for me, like, I come from a world where I was an IC for a lot of my career. Actually, like, I enjoyed being an IC because it allowed me to 
like really get work done quickly. You mean like um, individual contributor, right? Yeah. Might not. Yeah. So like I would, in certain roles, I would actively say no to like leading a team because I thought that I could actually do more as an individual working in kind of a more autonomous way. And so you clearly have to shift gears and, you know, that takes some effort. Um, but it's really kind of cool to watch and to just try to help people like do their best work, you know, like how do you create guardrails? How do you create flexibility in the way people work so that they can do their best work? So that's one lesson. The second lesson is just like really trying to become more organized. I'm a bit of a scatterbrained person and, and it doesn't work as well. <laughs> and so in many ways, I'm, you know, I'm actually, we're trying to build Friday to solve a lot of these. Like I, I was going to say, I think yeah. I, know, I know a tool that could help you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're working on some stuff right now to help even more, but you know, oftentimes I'll show up at the beginning of the day and it's like, what am I actually doing today? <laughs> and it's oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it's just like whack-a-mole, but that's not really a scalable approach. So you need to like, once again, create some habits and some process and, and yeah. And I don't know, I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I, I try to think about too. There's just so only so much time and there's a lot of things like I could do like, but what are the things that other people can't do? And what are the things that could create outsized go, going back to those things like where can we add a zero, right? Like how do you think, you know, more broad based or bigger about the business, which is I think actually really hard to do as a super early stage company. Cause tactically there's a million and one things to do, like whether it's writing some of that thought leadership and keeping that engine going, you know, or kind of trying to, trying to talk to customers, you, you know, talk to your partners. So I think it's a hard, it's a hard thing to balance, especially early on. Yeah. Until, you, until you get until you get people like Zach to come in and then they're they're managing up and being like I need this I need this so no thanks <laughs> I'm trying I still there's a few things that Grant hasn't quite let out of his grips yet but we'll <laughs> we'll pry him out of there slowly or distract him with other projects <laughs> but I love it Luke I, I think one one final question for me I see a bunch of books in the background and I want to try to give our listeners as many resources as possible and I'm going to put you on the spot two books you'd recommend for founders to read in kind of their first year or so of, of launching a business? First year. I really like Principles by Ray Dalio. I think the specific advice, you know, it may be applicable, it may not be, but I think the general structure of how he thinks is really, really interesting. And so we were actually talking about this as a team a couple of days ago, like, what are the principles for our product? What are the principles for how we run a company? That is surprising. Like, it's way underrated. And, and I think that the process that he talks about in that book is just super compelling. And the other book I'm a big fan of, it's not necessarily maybe for founders, but it's called Scientific Marketing by Claude Hopkins. And it was this book written in the early 1900s by this dude that was like an unbelievable advertising and salesman. And he talks about these principles that are super applicable even today. And he just breaks it down in a very methodical way. And I just, I think it's such a cool book. So yeah, I love that one. Luke, for everybody who's building a remote company right now, two, two-parter. One, you know, tell them where they can go to learn more about Friday. And then two, give them one, if you can't do it in one, give them one or two sort of like remote work tips to be thinking about. 
Yeah, so you can learn more about Friday at Friday.app and remote work tips. Uh, map out how you communicate on a regular basis, like literally write it down and, and see like how information might flow up, down and across the company. And you'll probably figure out very quickly what gaps exist. So that's part one. And part two is remote work is all about flexibility. And so if you are spending your entire day in Zoom, uh, on Zoom calls or in Slack, chatting back and forth, you're not tapping into the number one benefit of remote work. And so really think about how you can start shifting the burden away from the real time back and forth to get work done. Because ideally, you want people running in their own lane and collaborating when it's necessary instead of just defaulting to needing to all be together in one place to get work done. Love it. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for being our, our first guest. Uh, everybody, Luke is the founder and CEO of Friday.app. He's also a super experienced growth marketer. Uh, you can learn more about Friday, Friday.app. And again, yeah, Luke, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Luke. That was great. Sounds good. Thank you. And scene. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Zero to a Million podcast brought to you by Unstack, the no-code marketing platform. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week for more startup insights and strategies.